Good morning and welcome to the podcast. I'm Hayden Leverett. Soon we'll be joined by Riley Davis and Jonah Ott. Jonah is the head roaster of Cultivar Coffee in Dallas, Texas, and has a lot of insight into the specialty coffee world. We're going to talk a lot about the technical side of roasting and Jonah's coffee journey. So let's get into it. Yeah. Um, so I've been in coffee since December 28th, 2015. That's a specific day because when you work at, oh, wait, no. Well, yeah, technically. December 28th, 2015 was the day I got hired on at Starbucks. However, technically, a month before that, I worked at Barnes and Noble Cafe serving Starbucks coffee. Yes, which sir. You, there you you're go. familiar? I've been, yes, absolutely. You, you've been sure. or you've worked? I've been, not okay. worked, not yeah, worked. It's definitely not Starbucks. No. <laughs> um, I know that one of the biggest differences when I changed companies was uh, I could no longer had to say, uh, I'm sorry, we're not a Starbucks. I can't accept your Starbucks card. Um, that was like 28 out of 30 uh, interactions. But, um, but, oh, yeah, so that hurts. Dang. I ended that very quickly and, and started working at Starbucks, which is, you know, the pinnacle of, of coffee. Right. Um, no, um, I worked there at Stonebriar Center Starbucks for probably around two years, which is Frappuccino heaven. And when I started working there, I didn't drink coffee at all. I, um, I just drank, I think my drink was the double chocolatey chip Frappuccino Dude, um, yeah. with extra chocolate drizzle on mm-hmm. the inside, you know, um, no whipped cream because, you know, I wanted to lose some weight <laughs> and, um, and I just, you know, whatever I do, I just try to do it the best I can. So I was a good barista. I was a barista trainer and eventually I saw this one guy, an older guy with a black apron and I had a green apron and the black apron looked cooler. Yeah. And so I said, what's that? And it said coffee master on it. And, uh, he's like, well, I, I am a coffee master. You have to go through this program that Starbucks offers and, um, and you can be a coffee master. You get this black apron. I'm like, great, let's do it. He's like, you have to drink coffee. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> um, so, uh, that's when I started drinking coffee specifically with the intention of wanting a cooler apron right um and so i went through tried they gave me this little passport called you know little starbucks coffee passport still have it to this day um and i tried every single uh offering that starbucks had to offer at the time so you know from willow blend veranda what were the other ones sumatra uh komodo dragon you know you got the guatemala that they just so many different kinds have. you know all of them at the time you know i was discovering a palette yeah. You know, I was I was thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much complexity. You can see my notes, and it's like I'm like, oh my gosh, this was so like citrusy and so you know chocolatey. When really every single one of them just tasted, you know, I, I go back today and it's like, oh my gosh, tastes like the inside of a roaster. Yes, um, and there's a reason for that, but it's it was it's just fascinating. Like that's where I got my start. That's where I like was really starting to enjoy coffee. And the first thing I did was French presses. You know, mm-hmm. I never mm. I didn't start with cream and sugar in my coffee. I didn't do any of that. So I never really had a concept of that, which was kind of helpful going into it. Sure. Um, so I started that program, started drinking all the coffee. I actually went through that little coffee password thing twice to twice before um, they started opening up reserve bars. I don't know if y'all are familiar with the reserve bars. Yeah, There's yeah, absolutely. Two in Dallas, one in Austin. Um, as of now, I think they've halted production on making more of them. But I open up the one in Legacy West. Mm. Um, they, That's the only one I've been to. Yeah, it's um, the one. I've only been to the one in Dallas, like before they opened. Like with the, they have like a little soft open for Starbucks partners. Uh-huh. Um, and it was cool. I mean, but like at the time. 
basically you're taking a a concept of a super automatic espresso machine, a lot of sugar and a lot of, you know, yeah, like like just for fast food is what Starbucks is. It's fast food for coffee. Right. And then now applying, you know, a twenty thousand dollar espresso machine that, you know, is no longer it's a Victoria Adreno Black Eagle, which is actually a really good espresso machine, and you know, Mytho, Nuova Simonelli Mythos grinders. You know, you have siphons, you have Chemexes, you have Akaya Pearl scales, you have all these, you know, fancy equipment, uh, Nitro Cold Brew, and and all these kind of things. Um, and you know, going into it, it's like it was so daunting. It's like, oh my gosh, this is all new to me. I thought Chemex was like I'd never even heard of one before, mm-hmm. and uh, like uh, I'd only seen some on the internet. I'm like, that's a Chemex. Like, yeah. Gosh, and I learned how to make coffee for the first. And you know, it was better. You know, they had better training. They started doing that kind of stuff. Um, but then after a year there, I realized it was it was still burnt. You know, like right. even their reserve coffee is burnt. Um, and I, you know, I started experimenting. I learned about James Hoffman. I found him on YouTube. James Hoffman, Chris Baca. They really just opened my mind. I started reading books, and I started having more curiosity for coffee than Starbucks had to offer. You know, I was already a coffee master. I was working at a reserve bar and it was just like, it just felt like, you know, I'm like, I'm still in fast food. You know, like this is like, this is the same, same stuff just with a fancier, you know, look to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was making the same amount of money too. It's just yeah. like, what, what, <laughs> what, what is this? Um, yeah. And so I was also working at a restaurant called North Italia, which was really cool. And so I actually left Starbucks and worked at North Italia full-time for a bit. And during that time, I started a YouTube channel. Um, It's still up. All the videos are. Maybe I'll post more. We'll see. Um, (laughs) There's no promises with that. But I started a YouTube channel, and you can see the young Jonah back then, who was just like kind of... He made tutorial videos, even though he didn't really know everything. And then he also did interviewing videos, where I interviewed uh, three people. I interviewed uh, Kimberly at Coffee Del Rey. I interviewed Levi Knight at Cream and Sugar Coffee. And then I interviewed uh, uh, this one guy, Leo De La Fuente of Wild, Wild Catacol Brew, which is no longer in business. And I made these three videos. They're just like 45 minutes, hour-long videos of just me talking to them about the nice. coffee industry. And it just got me even more intrigued. It kept on it kept on answering questions that I was wondering before, and it was really, really fascinating. Um, and then I saw, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the North Texas Coffee Collective. Um, yes. No? I'm, I'm not. It's a it. Facebook group. Um, I'm an administrator on it. Basically, it's just a bunch of coffee people, you know, talking, talking coffee, you talking know, coffee. as we do. And this one guy put up a job for uh, the North Texas Coffee School. No, wait, no, what is it called? The Texas Coffee Texas School. Coffee Texas school. Coffee School. Right. I don't even know what it's called. It's a Texas <laughs> Coffee School. And and so I applied to be a coffee educator because I thought that sounded fun. Sure. And I got the interview. I got the job. And I didn't think twice before taking it, um, which I should have because it was in Arlington. And I lived in Frisco. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And so I started working there. I worked there for three months um, before I kind of got burnt out. But during that time, you know, I learned a lot more about coffee, kind of it kind of, uh, you know, was supplemental to all the information that I was getting from all these different places and about business too. And so that really was fascinating for me. I helped, you know, advise over 60 aspiring business owners and um, some of which actually went on to to create successful businesses, which is really cool to see today. 
Um, but then I had the opportunity to work at Coffee Del Rey, and this is what got me into specifically roasting. Uh, so Coffee Del Rey is a is a roaster in Plano, Texas, um, and they've been around for a bit. But I came on with uh, with the intention of just really kind of leaving my last job. I she was looking for some tra- freelance training. Kimberly, the owner of that, and I uh, I said why not why not I do that. I also can bag your coffee. I can redesign all your social media and all your bags and just kind of do anything and everything to make this business successful because, you know, I just, again, I just go all in whenever I do anything. I have a personal motto in my life, apathy kills quality. You know, like if you're going to do anything in life, don't be apathetic about it. And Mm. so I went in, you know, making $10 an hour. I, I took a pay cut to take it, but it was just like, it was so much better. It was a different work environment. Um, and I just started doing that and I completely, I did the things that I told her I was going to do. I did every single, I, you know, you can, you can scroll through the Instagram, look back at, back at what it looked like before and like all the old bags and now what they look like today. And I'm very proud of everything I did there. But the one thing that I think that was the most beneficial was, uh, starting roasting. So I started, I started there in April of 2019. Sure. One, I think probably. Yeah, that makes sense. And I started roasting in August where I just kind of started taking over. And before Coffee Del Rey, I would say was a second wave roaster um, because we had this super, like this super old and automatic roaster where it like limited us and we only could roast like to certain degrees. Otherwise it would just like turn off. It was wow. like really weird. Um, but then I, um, pestered enough and convinced her and our, you know, sales went up. So I convinced her to get a brand new roaster and we started roasting on a Diedrich, uh, IR 12, which is just, uh, roast around 18 pounds at 18 to 20 pounds at a time. And, um, yeah, I, I, when we got that roaster, I completely took over as head roaster and rewrote all the new profiles. So, um, and and shifted everything lighter uh which is like kind of what specialty i the the whole question is what is specialty coffee essentially not the, the, not the question that you totally asked but <laughs> the question is what is specialty coffee is it lighter not necessarily but it is stylistic for each person and i and i'll get into that in a second i guess but um i worked at coffee del rey for a bit after that and i worked until uh, this past July, mm-hmm. um, after I completely built out their espresso program, I did all the education there. And then I got the opportunity to work at cultivar, uh, cultivar coffee roast is where I am currently. I'm the head coffee roaster and the production manager there. And so, um, since taking on there, I've also rewritten their profiles and kind of changed a bunch of things. Cause you know, I'm, um, I'm what's the word obstinate. And I just like, that's I don't great. know. And so, you know, the whole process, the whole time, the, the thing that's kept me in the coffee industry is the process, is the fascination of all the chemistry, the physics, you know, the, mm-hmm. the science all behind it, whether it be roasting or brewing. You know, there's, there's, I had a conversation with this guy the other day, an hour long conversation just about water science. And it's the most fascinating subject. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing where it's like, I never cared about science in school, not once. But now that it's with coffee, it's like, I can't see. Yeah. 
but it's a big ingredient in coffee. It is ninety eight and a half percent water. Right. Uh, yeah. and, I mean, the world is basically water. But yeah, and you and me. Yeah. Yeah. All of us. Everything. We're all we're all connected by water. Need some good water for sure. What a, I wanted to back up just a sec. What made you? want to make the leap into roasting originally like why why roasting was it just the positioning was opening or like why did you decide to take on that aspect of it it felt like the next step okay and like and that's it's not always the next step for everybody you know like a lot of people i know baristas who've been baristas for you know 15 years and they love it and i miss baristing like honestly if you could yeah. give me a shift a week i would go back um and it just but it felt like the next step for me you know in the sense of like i Maybe it's a part of me. Are y'all familiar with Enneagram? Yeah. Okay. I'm a type three. Okay. And I have this like control issue <laughs> where I want to be able to control every, sure. every single concept, every single thing. And I, and I want to know everything. I think the, the big, the big strive for me is I, if I'm going to do something, I want to know literally every single idea behind it that makes it tick. Otherwise it's just like, you know, it, it makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and co- and like roasting was the next step, you know, like I, I knew, you know, kind of what was going on with, I thought I knew what was going on with brewing and I did, but then when I started roasting, it opened up like new avenues in brewing. And so because mm-hmm. I went to that step, the, to that level, not saying it's higher, it's just like, you know, a different mm-hmm. thing, a different concept in, in the whole coffee industry itself. It opened up new doors in the brewing side, and it was super fascinating. And you know, I'm I I still aspire to do green coffee buying, and I still aspire to go spend like six months on a coffee farm and 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 like kind of learn how to grow it too. And yeah. I and I know a couple of farmers that I think would be, I, I can force them to let me on their farm um, and try to do that too. That's but a good way to do it. Where what countries are are they in? Um, Panama and Dominican Republic, I think. Dominican Republic, I could probably do. I know um, it's really funny because the, the the farm and it's called Spirit Mountain Farm and and the DR and they uh, it's owned by a guy named Chad. <laughs> Good. It's like it's like oh you think oh Dominican Republic sure. Chad. Um, right. He he was like a missionary that went down there like twenty years ago and just fell in love with the people, lived there forever, and decided to buy a farm. Wow. And then now it's like probably the biggest farm that's putting out specialty coffee in in the dr which is out because most coffee in the dr stays in the dr because it's all crappy um because they you know it's fairly low altitude they don't really they, they're not really going for that specialty thing that like somewhere like panama colombia is really going for mm. um but it's it's really fascinating and getting to to meet farmers a lot of roasters are all about that direct trade and what does that really mean nobody really knows yeah um but it's cool that like I know him. I know his daughter. You know, like we we text and we are friends on occasion. She's about to get married, kind of thing like that. So cool. it's nice. really fascinating that I'm able to. It, what I love about the coffee industry and, and diving deeper and deeper and deeper into it is the the human connection. Because while mm-hmm. the science is always fascinating and and like obviously you see that human connection at the barista level because you're passing, you know, you're making a drink and trying to make another human happy, right. which is what I saw baristaing as. Um, but with the, you know, the big picture of the supply chain from, you know, the producer to the processor to the uh, exporter to the green coffee buyer to the importer to the roaster to the, you know, the coffee shop and then to the customer, you know, all that every there are hundreds and hundreds of hands that it's passed through before it gets to the consumer. And I think that's so fascinating. Wow. 
that was a lot of things. <laughs> so like, I'm sorry. No, you so, nailed it. You answered like six of our questions without oh, us really? even asking them. So <laughs> you're doing the work for us, which is good. <laughs> yeah. So you were talking about how you just want to know everything and like you thought that roasting was the next step. And so like those other steps, I guess they're not really like steps up necessarily. Mm. It's just like steps around. You want to know everything around coffee. So what are other than like um, the uh, the growing, what are some other things that interest you in terms of where you might see yourself in the coffee industry? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, I mean, a big part of it is that green coffee buying aspect, um, being able to work more with farmers and mm-hmm. not only just like, you know, work with a farmer because it's like, oh, I just had the, 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 you know, the opportunity to work with a farmer, but also sourcing the best coffee possible that is also going to support not only the farmers, but also, you know, the baristas working at the company that I'm working for. You know, I think it's so important that like, I mean, uh, if you're not familiar with the ways of coffee or if your listeners aren't, there's, uh, currently three ways of coffee, but I would like to argue there's like five ways of coffee. It doesn't even matter anymore. Um, (laughs) so the first way being, you know, gas station coffee, you know, it's, it's coffee that's literally just for caffeine consumption. It's nothing else. Um, and that you can get that hotels, you know, it's Folgers, um, definitely first wave. Yeah. Um, second wave being Starbucks. They invented the second wave. They were the ones that brought, you know, you know, better preparation, definitely better product. Um, but still it's in a fast food form. So second wave is more fast food and definitely darker. Um, because darker, basically the reason why second wave is darker is that the darker the coffee, the less, uh, complexity of the coffee you taste and the more uh, consistency you'll get. Uh, the reason why Starbucks roasts dark is because they have 30,000 stores worldwide mm-hmm. and they supply Target and Starbucks, and I mean, and uh, Walmart and all these other yeah. grocery stores. And then also uh, Costco, their Kirkland brand is roasted by Starbucks. You know, like all of these Damn. different brands are all under this one thing and they can't just go to a single farm in Guatemala and be like, Hey, you know, we're going to roast this single origin and, and yeah. it's going to taste great. And you're going to comple- get complexities of, of, uh, walnuts and, and, uh, milk chocolate and things like that. No, they're going to roast it darker because they're getting a ton of different coffees from a ton of different farms in Guatemala that are not going to taste anything alike. And when they roast it that dark and blend it all together, it tastes super generalized. And that's why they're able to do it. That's second wave third wave started in you know the late 90s early 2000s and that's when people started to be like okay maybe i should start paying attention to how i'm roasting maybe i should start paying attention to how i'm brewing how much coffee actually goes in with the water and and (laughs) kind of get it down to a science of it um but that really really start developing um until like 2008 but like really didn't actually truly take form until the 2010s like we are in the precipice of specialty coffee like this is like just starting beer and wine been around for 10 six to ten thousand years you know this is we're another part of the specialty beverage industry right and we're just starting now yeah we have maybe 15 years on our belt uh when uh, even though you know coffee's been around for a bit but we haven't really even paid attention to it until specialty coffee sometimes i can relate it to tea yeah And, and like the flavors that you get are very like fruity and juicy and like very floral um as opposed to like what we were drinking uh 100 years ago whatever it's very just 
roasty. Like you said, we don't even know how much coffee to put in with how much water. That's yeah, a, we were that's using very scoops. Interesting. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, and yeah. he's still scoops, but oh hey, no, good little scoop. Yeah, come on, man, I've got to call you out on that one. Straight rookie in it. No, it's all right. I mean, there's but a... this this guy has this guy brewed me the best coffee I think I've had. In really, with this no. with this scooper. I know how to French press. That's for <laughs> sure. Two tablespoons, six ounces of water usually gets it done pretty well. So I don't always bust out the scale, but you know, I'm fighting fighting the good fight for the tablespoons. <laughs> oh scoopers. my god, that actually like stresses me out yeah and this is where like what the struggle is when you get so into something um whether that be coffee whether that be wine it could be computers like my brother is like really into like building pcs and things like that and i have no idea what he's talking about he's talking greek to me yeah um but like you get to a level where people will just call you pretentious because like you won't do something that right. they would yeah for yeah. example I would never use a scoop to measure out coffee. There and like, go. I was one, one time I was at like my friend's house and I like, I had to, and I posted yeah. on my story because I used like, I used a blade grinder and oh, a yeah. French press nice. and like scoops. scoops. And I'm like, I, I put on it, I'm roughing it today. Yeah, that's and, hilarious. And somebody's like, this is what I do every right, day. Yeah. And I'm like, I am a terrible person. That's hilarious. Because I'm sitting over here with my over expensive scale, my over expensive kettle, my over expensive grinder. Uh, grinder. And I have the best coffee maker on the market because I just yeah. won't settle for less. Yeah. You know, because sometimes I just don't want to make a cup of coffee. Yeah. Uh, shout I out want to one Breville's. Of those too, yeah. Oh, it's so good. There you go. That's some uh, third wave struggles right there. Yeah, it's oh, it's the worst. Third wave but struggles. then there's the fourth wave. Yes. Mm. The fourth wave was kind of a push to recognize more about the farmer. Um, and that's still currently going on. What you'll notice now, you'll look at coffee bags, it no longer says, oh, this is an Ethiopian coffee. This will say, this is uh, Haluburidi, uh, yeah, right. you know, Ethiopia, tells you the exact region, tells you like, you know, about the co-op that grew it. Um, I have a coffee right now at, at Cultivar, uh, grown by, um, uh, man, I forgot the name, just, uh, uh, Inigo Sanchez or something like that, and 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 you we put it on the bag. We yeah. put the name on the mm -hmm. bag because we want to call out how important it is that it's a human that grew this. You know, every coffee cherry is picked by human hands, and these people deserve the credit, um, which is super important. I think the fourth wave is currently in its works, and it, and it still has a lot to go because coffee farmers are like some of the least paid people in the world next to tea farmers you know um they are paid rid ridiculously low i was talking to the owner of that dominican farm and he was telling me that um if uh, on an average farm in like central and south america that if uh eight men worked eight hours for the full day they could pool their money together and and come to america and buy a uh, uh one starbucks drink like it was like literally oh, wow. they're making like ten dollars you know, all together. It's oh. like crazy, incredibly low. These are workers that are, most of them, a lot of them are migrant workers that just travel the harvesting seasons and go from country to country just to pick coffee wow. in the most dangerous wow. of situations. You know, there's jaguars. There's In Brazil, there's hornets that can kill you. You know, the murder hornets, like, they are there. Um, there's snakes that, like, there's, like, you if you get bit, you die in 60 seconds and you have no chance. You yeah. know, these are the situations that they're in. 
and we take it for granted. You know, like that's mm. that's what fourth wave is about. You know, it's trying to make you feel bad. Um, <laughs> um, but I think, and I'll argue that the fifth wave, I'm done with calling it waves after this. The, no, but if we say there's a sixth wave, I give up. Um, <laughs> but the fifth wave would be caring about the barista. I feel like nobody. I think uh, it's a very fair point that like you know a lot of people see a barista position as someone who's in high school or someone who's in college. They're working part-time just while they're doing classes, and this is what they're going to do until they find what they actually want to do. And then what you'll find is a lot of people who do start it like that then find that the coffee industry is freaking cool, and they, they want to stay, and they want to develop, and they want to do more things, but then not a lot of businesses will actually make it accessible for them to do. So mm. that's why they have to find the next level, quote-unquote, and go be a roaster or something like that. Like I, cu I couldn't be a barista forever because at a certain point I wanted to be able to sustain because I'm an adult and I need to you know, pay bills sure. and all these kind of things like that. I think that's the next step. And there's a lot of good companies that do that, you know, Cat and Cloud in, um, in California. Then there's uh, Oddly Correct in, in Kansas City, Missouri. You know, there's certain companies that are actually making it uh, and the cultivar actually the company i'm at currently is trying so hard you know to make it that hey you can have a living off of this you can be sustained you can take care of yourself and your family and maybe take a few days off like that's i think such an uh an important aspect of the coffee industry that is still yet to be explored on yeah. the mass side and that's why i mean starbucks you know they pay their employees you know eight to 10 to 14 dollars an hour max if you're a shift manager and then they say oh we give you you know benefits of free college and all these kind of things like that that 98 percent of them don't actually take advantage of because yeah. starbucks is offering that because they know they're not going to take advantage of it so they can pay their employees less like i, I think there needs to be Oof. less burn <laughs> yeah well tell us how you really feel. i think there needs to be less exceptions for uh you know coming up short on that side because mm. we need sure. to take care yeah of everybody in the supply chain not just not just the consumer because i think it's it's important that the consumer walks away happy but if the consumer walks away happy on you know the tears and blood of the producer and just the tears of the barista i think that's a problem yeah so now i want to get into the technical side of roasting um and how it works because there's so many different styles of coffee in america and i think a large part of that um, a, a large part of how that happens is because of roasting. So could you talk about the roasting process and the different technical styles that can, that can go on? Coffee is a cherry. It grows on a tree. Every single coffee cherry has two coffee seeds for the most part. And then they're processed, they're dried out, and they're green. And then they're put into big 153-pound sacks, 69 kilos. I don't know why they picked that number. And they ship them across the world to you know the the first world which is the worst worst <laughs> word which is the worst word it's uh de you know developing countries to you know developed yeah. countries uh and that's where we get to butcher the beans no um <laughs> that's where i receive the coffee so i get i have a whole warehouse full of different kinds of beans i have beans uh from and they're seeds they're not even beans but i have seeds from uh honduras uh uh costa rica El Salvador, Ethiopia, uh, Guatemala right now. And each of them are going to be grown at different elevations. Each of them are going to be grown in different kinds of soil around different kinds of plants, and they're going to be processed different ways. And because of that, they're all going to burn differently. Um, so the, the process of that, I try not to burn them, I swear. A roaster. I have to describe what a roaster is because <laughs> okay. I feel like it's, it's, it's a mixture between an oven 
and a washer machine. Like it, it rotates. <laughs> Basically, you put yeah. the beans in, and it rotates, and it shifts them around and tries to move them around them in an evenly. even way yeah. so that the fire underneath the oven uh, uh, actually heats it up and mm. gets it to the uh, the browning point of making it brown. So I take it from green to brown. That's the that's the simple way I take coffee from green to brown. And the way to do that, the process to do that is very scientific, uh, all about physics and chemistry. So starting in, I put the coffee in the hopper, which is above the roasting chamber. And that's at room temperature. I mm -hmm. wait for the rooster to get to a certain uh, degree. For me, it's around 360 degrees. And then I, it's called charging it. I charge the coffee into the roaster and that's around 20 pounds of green coffee going to the roaster and start tumbling around in the roaster. Uh, immediately what's going to happen is, is because the coffee is room temperature and I'm bringing air and the coffee beans in there, that, that temperature is going to immediately drop. So if you can imagine, uh, close your eyes and imagine a graph, the most fascinating thing is what I look at all day long is graphs is that it's going to be a line graph. The line is going to suddenly drop down really rapidly, uh, the y-axis being uh, temperature, the x-axis being time. If you, I don't know if this is helpful. And um, <laughs> If and, you're driving, please do not close your eyes. Yeah, Keep them open. <laughs> um, if you're driving, maybe try it out. See what happens. Yeah. Um, no, um, and... And it's going to immediately drop and then start to rise back up. Now, my job as the roaster is to make sure that rise is consistent. Um, and so I'm looking at a few things. I'm looking at different phases, uh, bean temperature, rate of rise, which is going to be a weird concept to explain, um, and time. So first off, bean temperature. My goal is to get it from you know room temperature to its end point. For me, I typically roast anywhere from 403 degrees to 405 degrees. Um, there's we we roast on the medium light side at, at Cultivar. Our darkest coffee, we do have a dark roast that's around 420. Um, and I'll give you kind of a a conception of what other roasters do after I describe how yeah. we roast. And so um, it's going to start rising and rising. And honestly, for the first like five to six minutes, not much happens other than it keeps on getting hotter. Not a lot of chemical reactions actually happen during this point. It's called the drying phase for no reason. No, somebody named it the drying phase. Nobody knows why. Um, <laughs> it's because, already dry. Because it's already dry. Uh, it, it's letting out a little bit of moisture, but not even a ton um, because the coffee, the, the beans still have a lot of moisture in them around 11% of it is moisture. Um, and so at a, at a certain point, around the 300 degree mark, that's when the mired reaction happens. If you're familiar with like cooking steak, steak goes from red to brown, that's the mired reaction. Anything where you're taking something and making it brown, cooking it and making it brown, that's the, the mired reaction uh, and colorization is happening to the coffee. That happens around 300 degrees where it comes slowly from uh, green to yellow. And it's super fun to watch. It smells like hay. Like again, there's nothing. There's nothing really. It doesn't smell like coffee. It doesn't even taste like coffee until the very end of the process. Um, and so, when you get around that point, I'm still. What I'm doing at this point is manipulating the gas, manipulating airflow to make sure that it's rising at a very even rate. But more importantly, that the speed is falling. What's the speed? 
So that's rate of rise. So rate of rise is essentially the miles per hour of how fast the coffee is roasting. <laughs> and the very, it's really, it's, it's, that's why I said it's a really hard concept to explain. Um, it's a completely other line that while the bean temperature is going up, the roasting, the rate of rise is going down. That's the goal is to have it going down in a consistent way so that in the be very beginning, it's roasting quickly. That means it's rising in temperature quickly. However, near the end, it doesn't make a lot of temperature uh, adjustments that much. So it's kind of going slower. So I don't, that doesn't make any sense. You'd literally have to see, you literally have to see a graph to do that. And so I'm sorry that, that, that just sounds like a bumble of different things, but that's, I mean, kind of a testament to how complicated the process is. So after we exit the mired phase, which goes on for a couple minutes, you're gonna be going into the development phase. So at a certain point, it's called uh, first crack. First crack happens, it depends on each coffee, they're all gonna have a different first crack, but that's when you're gonna start to hear, it's gonna start popping, and it sounds like popcorn, like literally like if you're popping popcorn in a microwave, it, right. but a lot more, a lot of coffee is you know, popping at this point. It's a point where pressure is built up so much that it's starting to expand the coffee. Um, it typically gets around a third bigger in size, and it gets uh, progressively darker. Now, this is the very end of the roasting process. Uh, so the, the uh, development phase typically happens for no more than two minutes, um, at least for what I do. And, and during that time, a lot of flavors develop. So there's around 800 volatiles in coffee. Um, that's just different chemical compounds that can give coffee flavor. However, when you roast it, it compounds into around roughly, you know, 1500, not 15,000, 1500 aromatics, which is ridiculous. Um, even to this day, as we were saying earlier, this is still a new concept. Not everybody even knows what happens during the roasting process. It's still like new science that we know that the mired reaction happens. We know that after a certain point, carbonization happens, but we're like, what, what's happening? Like, like yeah, it's super, yeah. it's super weird. Um, and so after a certain point, once I get to a specific uh, DTR, which is development time ratio, uh, that's a part of development. Basically, once I start that development uh, phase, I start a timer, and that timer uh, takes a percentage of the whole roast after first crack. Meaning, let's say if my DTR uh, is 17%, that means 17% of the entire roast happened after that first crack point, um, which is... That's, that's one of my, my variables that I'm looking at. And then also in temperature and in time. Um, typically, I roast around 12 minutes, no more than 1230. And uh, I don't really go. I stay in that range of the, the early 400s. Now, all that to say is it's that's what I specifically do. And I mean, like you mentioned earlier, what does cultivar do versus what my personal preference does? I would even go lighter than that typically. Um, each business that I work for typically has their own little come-ups. For example, example, I've never worked for them, but I'm friends with the roaster at Island Coffee Roasters. Now they are what they would even call themselves a second wave roaster, where they roast a little bit darker, where they're roasting more in that four, 10 to 420 range consistently um i from what i understand like the lowest temperature that they've ever been able to go is like 408 um which to me is dark to me like i would i would not go that dark however for them that's their light roast you know it's a it's completely different concept and then when you look at starbucks where they're roasting consistently at 420 to 450 even uh Goodness. and yeah it's it's so much higher that's and hot, so yeah. what's happening at that point is that you're literally taking like the beans are con con constantly losing weight uh 
Um, so once I roast a, a batch of coffee, I lose around 13% uh, of the entire bean weight. Um, and that's typically moisture, mostly moisture. However, a little bit of it is actually going to be, you know, what's in the coffee bean itself because it's just how that, how cooking works. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're getting to that point where you're roasting even darker and darker and darker, you're going to get to, you know, 15% loss, 17% loss, and then you're losing what the coffee actually tastes like. Um, and that's the difference. That's the difference between Starbucks and a second wave roaster and a me is that I'm trying to lose as little as what the coffee tastes like. And they're just trying to lose more of it because then they're able to, you know, pair it better with, you know, syrups and, and milk. Cause like, let's say my coffee is super citrusy. It's not going to match as well with vanilla, you know, yeah. and that's very fair. It can, it can match very well with vanilla, like depending on how you roast it. And that's why there's different roasting styles within specialty coffee. So for example, I have some roasts that are specifically for filter coffee and then some roasts for espresso. Um, and these just go into, you know, how much I develop them to make them even weaker because the, the longer I roast the coffee, the weaker and more brittle the coffee becomes. And that means it's easier to extract the flavor. Do you think about weight of coffee in terms of profitability sometimes? You have to. I mean, especially when you get to the side, like if you're a business owner, you have to think, okay, the, the longer I roast this coffee, the darker I roast this coffee, I'm going to lose more money. Yeah. As, and so typically if you're going to roast darker, you buy worse coffee. So then you're making up for that because right. you're actually losing because we don't sell by like the bag. We sell by how much is in the bag. Yeah. You know, we don't just fill a bag. We say, okay, well, we're going to put, you know, 340 grams, 12 ounces in this bag. And whether that be, you know, a darker coffee or a lighter coffee, we're going to have to put more of that darker coffee in there um, because it weighs less. Right. So the customer gets the same amount. Interesting. And so when you roast darker, obviously you're going to buy worse coffee like cheaper coffee because otherwise you're not going to be able to do that. And that's why typically if you, if you go to, let's say a specialty roaster, if it's really high quality, they're going to roast lighter. They're not going to roast darker. The reason being is that they lose. Well, well, one of the many reasons being is that they lose money. Another reason is that they lose taste and they lose complexity of the coffee. Uh, you were saying earlier, like tea, like stuff, like, you know, Jasmine and, 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 you know, florality. And those are things that are real tasting notes in coffee. I have a coffee that's sitting on my counter over there, uh, that tastes like when it's brewed, right. It tastes like, uh, Cap'n Crunch berries. And I love it. It's, uh, our Ethiopia Bobea and it's a naturally processed coffee. It's absolutely fantastic. We don't add anything to it. And I think that's really what you're losing when you do that. Um, but business-wise, it's a completely different thing. And that's why, like, dark, like for example, like restaurants and, and you know, hotels and things like that, they're going to, and office buildings, they buy darker coffee from us because what they're trying to do is they're going to be pairing it with milk. Yeah. If you're mm -hmm. a coffee shop, you're probably going to be buying lighter coffee um, because, you know, you're brewing at a batch brew, pour over, and then also espresso. And so you get, you know, a variety of different things. There's different coffees for different people, but I think it's important in all of that is that you can do dark well and you can do light well, and you can do light very poorly. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and I've tasted really bad. Like people are just like literally just trying to make it light. And I'm like, no, there's like you, sometimes not all coffees can go super light, you know, and not a lot of people are willing to do that. Right. I, I, I think all yeah. coffees can go medium, but not all coffees can go light. Yeah. yeah. But then you're adding in like where you're getting the coffee from and just different variables. And then whenever it comes to the business side, you're thinking of profitability based on weight. 
and like what you can do with the coffees that you have based on the farmers that you know or the uh, producers, whatever. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into business in America in terms of where you're buying coffee. And there's a lot of different ways. I was thinking about the uh, graph that you're talking about and the, um, the ROR and the rise of temperature. Mm-hmm. Are there different... I think I've seen that there are different ways those graphs look at the very end, you know, whatever that happens in between, you know, when you start and when you finish, that changes the profile of the coffee. Oh, yeah. So how, I guess, like, is that something that just specialty coffee is seeing? Or is that something that is going to be a little bit more uh, available in terms of knowledge to maybe, like, a summer moon like i don't know if we're gonna be able to do any of that but summer moon could but i don't think that from what i've seen from the video that you showed me of them roasting right there's not really a way to to gauge it um i honestly don't see how they're able to manipulate it now for example starbucks they use these programs and they they actually you know measure all these things they try to make it as because their job is consistency yeah. so yes not just specialty coffee i mean technically starbucks only buys specialty coffee but not just third wave coffee has access to you know these uh these programs and making sure that the, the coffee you know you're actually looking at rate of rise management because like you were saying like how like i could get the coffee from zero to 404 degrees you know, um, uh, any way, shape or form and yeah. make, and it won't taste good unless I keep everything consistent and like, right. and make sure it like, for example, if the rate of rice flicks at the very end, it starts roasting really quickly at the very end, it'll start to taste baked or roasty. If I, yeah. if I do it way too quickly, but if the, if the graph looks good, but like, it's like a 10 minute roast when I'm only, when I'm doing, uh, 20 pounds of coffee, it might taste a little underdeveloped, like all these different things. Like you can get it from point A to point B, but how you do it is just, is more important yeah. than, than, than just doing it. Um, so when you're doing like wood fire roasted coffee, for example, um, and they, unless they're able to get temperature probes in there and be yeah. able to control like the, the level, they of do the have fire. temperature probes. They actually they keep it to a certain temperature that, in there. That's good. But but yeah, they don't have any way to manipulate it as fast, you know, because it's not a gas. Yeah, you know? that's the benefit of a roaster for sure. Yeah, I was thinking about the way you you compared it to cooking a steak and how I've seen so many different ways a steak can be cooked. Mm-hmm. It's like. You can pan sear it, you can grill it, you can pan sear it, then oven bake it, you can oven bake it, then pan sear it. And so those same things are applicable to coffee roasting. And the fact that you're talking about how all of this information is new, we don't even know what's happening, is very exciting for what can come of the sixth wave of coffee that you're on (laughs) over there. Oh, I'm on that new wave, guys. Yeah, no, and super fast. Actually, I think the one of the best comparisons that I've been able to do at home um, that I can compare to coffee is making chicken nuggets. Is making chicken nuggets, yeah. Like Be- frying them? Yeah, themselves? like making them like like Chick-fil-A style. Like okay. put them in, like deep fry them in your kitchen at home because I found that like you could uh, turn the oil up, turn the heat on the oil up higher, put the chicken in, 
and and the color on the outside will look darker however you take them in after a certain amount of time and it'll still be pink on the inside yeah. however if you turn the oil down let it go longer the color looks much better right um and the mm-hmm. inside is well cooked like there's like you can like manipulate yeah. time and heat and come out with Makes really sense. different things one might look darker on the outside but look completely under under cooked on the inside and coffee's the same way like there's sometimes where you know if um, some people roast like really dark and quick however really really quick and so the inside tastes really underdeveloped and the outside tastes roasty and it's mm-hmm. like like there is so much different ways to do it there's only i i mean there's I can't even speak on so many different ways to do it because I kind of developed my own ways based off of just like doing a little bit of research and just mm-hmm. doing it time after time after time. But I've heard of, you know, so many other roasters and I'm trying, I don't know if I've heard of white coffee um, where they literally roast it up until first crack and they don't even get the first crack, which I oh, can't man. even imagine tastes good. Um, and, you know, some people do this like uh, this, they call it soaking the coffee where they like let it, like they let the coffee in and keep it at a low temperature before they reach like they before they go up and do that and and that's only really works in cast iron roasters like that in each roaster is different like i could get i could get let's say i take a i'm gonna list out a brand that nobody's gonna know but i'm gonna take a diedrich ir12 and i'm gonna get another diedrich ir12 one's gonna be in dallas texas and one is gonna be in flower mound texas you could roast the same exact coffee you could roast the same amount of coffee, same time, same profile. It'll taste different. Yeah. Wow. Because you are at different elevation, different atmospheric pressure. It's not only going to taste different, but it'll roast different. Like you cannot get the same profile. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's ridiculous that a lot of people try to keep this all pent up close to the chest when like this information should be widely available. Yeah. Like I, I would be willing, like it's not my, you know, it's not my company, so I can't do everything, but I would be willing to give everybody my profiles and show them all my mistakes and show them the little things that'll happen, you know, while you're roasting. I think it'll be so beneficial. However, most people won't even know what they're, (laughs) what they are saying. But like, I think, I think if more people are more educated on not just roasting, but on just brewing coffee in general, I think the whole uh, experience of coffee will be uh, will be forced to be elevated. Yeah, you know, because nobody can no longer get away with giving you an under extracted cup, or nobody can get away with just a subpar service, subpar espresso. And I think that'll force people to respect the coffee more, um, which is both a pro and a con because then mm-hmm. you know it's it's gonna force a lot of people to step up their games and a lot of people you know you can look in dallas but let, i don't want to take dallas because that's the city i'm in but i went to chicago you know i went to all these you know really fancy coffee places and i was impressed by maybe one place and a lot of them were like well known you know it's like it's it's because like if uh it, to the naked eye to to, to anybody they would be fine. They'd be great even. But once that that standard is risen, then people are going to want to meet it. And I think that can apply for a lot of things in life, yeah. but right, specifically yeah. to coffee. Sure. Well, I was going to say one question I had just while on the topic of roasting and stuff that I've always wondered. So whenever a bag of beans lists off like flavors in there, let's say it's like a bag and it says, oh, it's got all these this vanilla and blueberry and like lavender in there and stuff. Where does that... Is that just simply from how it's perceived that they, the people who wrote that up thought the bean tasted or is anything added to that 
in order to enhance those flavors. I've honestly never known whenever it says, oh yeah, you're going to taste all this chocolate and cinnamon in here. I'm like, how did that get in the beans? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> so it depends on where you're buying your coffee. If you're going to Walmart and it says vanilla, if it says French vanilla on the thing, <laughs> they added it. Um, they, they use a, a chemical spreading agent and adding all these fake and artificial flavors um, which is awful for you and awful to the coffee because you can just add, if you want French vanilla, get a syrup, add it after. That's right. my whole conception. But in specialty coffee, a lot of people are confused by this because it says, it might just say, it might just say straight up on the bag, you know, um, uh, blueberries, you know, strawberry jam and uh, jasmine. That's that's no not one coffee that I think it actually exists because I mean I've had coffees that have all those tasting notes but I don't think those go together but yeah. it's fine um, and people are like oh I had this customer one of them had a strawberry noted coffee uh, the the bag and it was really really good crazy complex coffee it was from the Dominican Republic actually that farm I was mentioning and um, this one guy who came in all the time he was a police officer came in all the time every single day probably like. You know, six months into him coming here, he was trying this coffee. He just went up to me. He's like, "So when do you add the strawberries in?" And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't add them in. It's it's yeah. and and because that's what everybody thinks, but it's not. It's because coffee is so complex. For example, I think the a very good uh, analogy would be apples. Okay. If you take a Granny Smith apple and a Red Delicious apple, do they taste the same? Yeah. No. no. Uh, because one, they're different varietals. Two, they're going to be different, grown in different regions, um, and and three, they might be in different growing seasons too. But I don't know everything about apples, but my point is, you know, just off of, I could just say two different names. Yeah. But if I said to you, all right, I'm going to give you a Tipica coffee and a Bourbon coffee, what's the difference? Like, you wouldn't know. It's it's yeah. not even, if I give you a Gesha, if I give you a Katura, you know, like, what are you going to say? You don't know. But yeah. that's not just one thing that changes the flavor of coffee, which is varietal. Uh, so I was mentioning, you know, Granny Smith and, and Macintosh and and Red Delicious and uh, uh, Fuji and all Fuji. Those crazy There's another ones. apple. There they are. But like with wine, you got Pinot Noir, you got Merlot. You know these are all varietals. With coffee, yeah. there are tens of thousands of them, just in Ethiopia alone. Like they're crazy, and that's why we just say heirloom varietals are wild grown. Like it's we don't even know everything mm -hmm. and how they can affect flavor. Some some varietals just affect how they grow, like how many leaves uh, grow on a single branch. There's there's one varietal that grows so many cherries that it literally kills itself because it's too heavy to support. Like wow. it's super fascinating stuff. Pacamara grows super super big. And there's so many different varietals and cultivars, by the way. That's the company I work for. However, a cultivar is a man-made varietal where they crossbreed. And so that opens up a whole new avenue of different things, how coffee can taste and grow, whether it be more pest-resistant, disease-resistant, but then also how it tastes. Um, so you may have heard of geisha or gesha coffee before. Have you heard of that? Mm. Okay. Uh, you have? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, he usually hears of things before I hear <laughs> usually how it flows. You, you have your uh, to ears to the wire. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it's this crazy, like, famous varietal because it's known for growing insane flavors. Um, and some of this coffee can go for, you know, thousands of pounds, uh, thousands of dollars for a uh, pound of coffee green. So that's before it's roasted, and then it becomes like, like doubles in price after it's roasted. And so you're getting these in like small containers, and then 
it's like sometimes it tastes really crazy mm-hmm. and then sometimes it just like is like fine and i'm like yeah. okay well, it's, it that's how a varietal can change it but for example like let's say it's a fruity coffee mm-hmm. that coffee was probably grown at a super high elevation elevation plays into it because the higher the elevation the, the longer it takes for the coffee to grow because it's cooler climate um, and it grows denser as it grows longer. So if it grows really quickly, you're not going to develop as much flavor. However, if it grows longer, you're going to develop a lot more flavor, which are natural organic acids that are developing in coffee. A lot of people don't like coffee because it's acidic. Um, right. But however, acidity is what gives coffee its flavor. So that's where you're trying to like, you know, when you're tasting coffee, I like to taste it with the intention of figuring out what it tastes like. So tasting coffee and what we put on bags is we're literally – it's called – it's a fun word. Retro olfactory senses. That's the word. You're tapping into your retro olfactory senses. Retro meaning the past and olfactory meaning your nose your and your taste buds and your mouth. You're literally tasting and you're thinking, okay, what have I tasted before that tastes like this? Mm. Um, and so you're just comparing it. That's what's on a, on a, on a, those are tasting notes on a bag comparing it. I've, when I said, for example, that the coffee over there from my, Ethi- the Ethiopia, uh, Ethiopia Bobea, um, it tastes like uh, Captain Crunch berries because I had Captain Crunch berries when I was a kid, and I'm like, I taste it. I'm like, this is exactly what it tastes like. Right. Sometimes it doesn't even taste like a thing. It tastes like an, an emotion, a feeling. Like if it's if someone says, oh, this coffee tastes like Christmas Day, that might mean <laughs> different things to different right. people. That could mean like a fireplace. It could mean you know cinnamon, baking spices, things like that. Or it could mean cranberries, and and you know and like uh, like. know brightness because of starlight or something like that but it's really conceptual sometimes and sometimes i like that i sometimes i like where it can be it's more um it's more you know uh relatable it can be and i think it should be however a lot of people sometimes go too intense and say something really things like uh, i see all the time like lychee on a bag and i'm like i know what lychee is now because i had to look it up but most people don't know that it's like some asian fruit that you're only gonna find in an asian market and you know most people have never had or bergamot you know like like that's like not something everybody knows what it is like these are like you know there and um there's so many other different ones where it's like they kind of shoot themselves in the foot because nobody knows what that is and then they're not gonna buy it um because they've never tasted it but one of the best advice given to me with tasting coffee is that you need to taste everything else first um and i always had that i was a picky eater and so now i'm like much more accepting and trying new things but um you need to taste everything first so then you can use your retro olfactory senses and that's how you develop a palate and that's how you start to know what's on a tasting bag but yeah yeah, unless they say artificial flavors or something like that it's actually just like what the roasters tried and they thought okay this is what this tastes like yeah so in a way maybe because i know I've talked to people before where it's like, I bought this bag and it said it was going to be vanilla and blueberry and I didn't taste any vanilla and blueberry. Yeah. Like it didn't taste like that. They probably and didn't brew it right either. They probably, it, it the problem is we get nine times out of 10, I can just, I can blame how you brewed it. Um, right. And that's because not many times you can blame the consumer, but it's like, mm. it's kind of, be, it's because education's not out there enough. Yeah. You know, I don't blame you for not brewing it right because if it tastes like vanilla and blueberry, that means it's a really complex coffee and it takes a lot of practice to brew a complex coffee. Mm. Like you need a, you, when you're brewing, I was talking about all the variables with roasting. There's just as many variables with brewing too. You're looking at temperature, you're looking at flow rate, you're looking at grind size, you're looking at agitation um total time of the brew cycle you know all these different things and then there's like ten thousand different ways of how to brew on just one thing 
without even taking account what the coffee is. And so I don't blame anybody for not understanding how coffee tastes. I think people should seek out someone who knows how to brew coffee, try it from them, and then real. And, and that's when you can have that aha moment. You know, the right. light turns on in your head. I used to do that. I used to be able to do that for people when I worked at Starbucks because of how hard I tried to brew that coffee. Um, and and that was what's fascinating. Like I literally, I said, okay, this is what this tastes like. And for some reason, they were convinced. Like I was able to like you know do enough show and act that people were actually convinced with really bad coffee. But now it's easy when you're in specialty coffee. It's so easy you know it's just like i can brew it for you and they'd be like that's really weird like i tell oh this one tastes like strawberries like why though (laughs) like they get they get concerned they're like why though like it shouldn't it's it's coffee you know and that's why you need to view different coffees as different beverages entirely some are going to be tea like and some are not some are going to be coffee coffee you know that's why now the term is traditional versus versus modern you know and interesting the modern has always just gone lighter. Okay, one more question, then we probably have to wrap up. Um, Sorry, we, I rant. No, that's not, great. Not, There's not a lot not. of good info in there. Yeah. Um, we had talked before about your roasting style, and you there was a word that you used to describe that the the uh, goal is to get the flavors out that come from the origin. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. What did I say? You were, I don't remember the word specifically, but um, it was some Latin word maybe that. Ah, yes. Um, I have Invisalign in, um, so it's going to be hard for me to say this word. Terrar. Terrar. T-E-R-R-O-I-R. So this is a term mostly used with wine. Um, And so, yeah, you're totally right. This is, I did say that. Um, And it's talking about the uh terrar means you know earth terra uh where it's talking about where the coffee came from i'm roasting to enhance exactly what the coffee was meant to taste like not what i want it to taste like Mm. that's my whole philosophy with coffee and so that's what i'm looking at like when i receive a coffee and i like decide how to roast it i'm looking at a few things i'm looking at okay how high was it grown um was it grown you know 1400 meters or was it grown 2400 meters above sea level which would just be drastically different as i said earlier the higher the elevation the more complexity of that can grow inside that coffee not necessarily but typically rule of thumb more complex then i'm looking at the processing method if it's a natural processed coffee if it's a wash processed coffee honey processed coffee um anaerobic processed coffee like there's like there's actually so many processing methods uh that i could could get into but i won't today uh i'm gonna spare you all that um part two we'll get into part it two. On part oh my two. gosh and uh like for part two and um, and then that'll change how it'll how it will roast and how it'll taste. If it's a naturally processed coffee, I could assume it's going to be more fruity. If it's a if it's a wash processed coffee, I can assume it's going to be more clean, depending on the origin. Um, and then also, what's like if it's shade grown, if what's grown around it, sometimes I can get information about that. All that can help, and that's when. I, you know, I try a few sample roasts, I try it out and see, okay, this is what's being highlighted in the cup and I'm gonna like focus in on that. Like if I taste, I, I taste, you know, uh, lemon, graham cracker and uh, dark chocolate, I'm going to roast in a way that will amplify citrusiness, but also uh, give a good body to it. And I could talk about how I can do that, sure. and how, but that's like 
so I could I could it, it's so much <laughs> that would be it's a whole own yeah. podcast and and also like, it would just be too much to say when you can't even see it, um, and that's like that's what roasting for terroir means, and and that's why I'm not going to you know take a coffee that I know is complex and I'm just gonna roast it dark. But if I know a coffee is not very complex, I know it can take a darker roast, and sometimes the the darker it can go, it can bring out what they call a roasty sweetness, and that's. That it kind of gives like a sugar cane kind of feel because that's caramelization. Right. Uh, caramelization. When you're roasting, you get the mild reaction, but also caramelization and then carbonization. And so if you if you, the goal is balance because if you if you're able to go just far enough without, um, without burning it for some of the lower quality coffees, it can taste actually really good. But typically, my goal is to go, just far enough. Uh, pass you know like so it doesn't taste like soup because if you if you do it too light it'll just taste like soup and kind of disappointing mm. i actually like some styles of roasting like for example britain uh we were talking about james hoffman earlier he is the owner of uh square mile square mile coffee honestly honestly and this is not gonna be a very popular opinion i've done his two world like national cupping things where he like gets like thousands of people to cup coffee all at the same time his coffee to me tastes like soup um, I think they roast really light because Britain, British people are really used to tea, you know, and that's what their style is. However, you go to Scandinavia, they're going to roast lighter, but they're also going to pack a punch and they're typically much stronger. If you go to, you know, typically the United States is like the in-between part, but like, I don't even like James Hoffman's coffee. However, I think he's a very smart guy and he has a lot to bring to the table. I think there is a way to brew it to make it taste good. But like, I think it's in, he like for example, he brews closer to a 17 to one ratio, uh, which is 17 grams of coffee for every one gram of water. However, that's a, that's the opposite. 17 grams of right. water for every one gram of coffee. However, I brew it at 16 or 15 to one because I like a stronger punch and he likes, you know, like, like very light and delicate. And yeah. so like everybody, the yeah. problem with coffee, the main problem is that it is, uh, it, it's up for debate. You know, like I can't say that this is right. Yeah. I can't, nothing I just said was well, it's right. It's all sub- subjective. It's so subjective. Yeah. Everything in coffee yeah. is subjective and that's the worst part. I wish I could say, just say it was right. It's the worst, but the best part. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the yeah. most complicating. That's what makes food beautiful. That's what makes, yeah, you know, exactly. different cultures beautiful. Turkish coffee brewed totally incorrectly. Yeah. You know, it's brewed too hot. Yeah. It's brewed too fine. It doesn't, like nothing is, and it doesn't taste, to me it doesn't taste good. Yeah. I've tried it and they add sugar in it in the brewing process too. But beautiful because it's cultural. Yeah, of course. You yeah. know, they, it's brewed correctly in that culture. Same thing with like Ethiopian uh, roasting ceremony, where they roast right on the spot and yeah. it's burnt to a crisp in a pan, and you know, and you brew you... it right immediately, <laughs> right. and all this. It's so cool. I want to go to Ethiopia and do that. That's a dream of mine. It's it's right for what that culture is, but it's not right for you know it's science. Completely opposite. And, yeah. and sometimes science doesn't line up. Yeah. You know. Well, that's Sometimes a good take feeling away. and experience take take over that. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for Jonah. having me. Maybe next time we talk, you'll have a different venture and more knowledge <laughs> and experience in different countries, and that'd be great to pull from. I would love to. Uh, unfortunately, because of COVID nineteen, nobody's sure. nobody's traveling anymore. Yeah, um, yes. I want to go to a country of origin. So next time you have me on, like that's my goal. That's yeah, I, I want, that's all of our goal wanna, for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, all right, man. well, sweet. See you guys next week. Yeah, awesome. All right. Thanks, Joe. Yeah.